0: Right after Adam and Eve sinned and plunged themselves into spiritual death and all of their progeny into spiritual death, God gave them a promise. And God said to them that, uh, to the serpent actually, that the time would come when the seed of the woman, a specific person in mind, The seed of the woman would have his heel wounded by the serpent, but in doing so, he would crush the head of the serpent. Wonderful, wonderful. First promise in the Bible, and uh, the first preaching of the gospel in the Bible. It's called the proto-evangelium, the the first gospel message. And so... uh, all through Jewish history and human history, there was a sense that someday God would provide a snake crusher. That God would provide someone who through his own death in some way would actually crush the head of Satan. And uh, those promises rang out in over and over and over again with every covenant that God made, with every sacrifice that the Jews uh, uh, performed, every day of atonement, the tabernacle itself, everything seemed to be pointing and saying, someone is coming. Someone is coming who will be a, a prophet like Moses, a priest like Melchizedek and a king like David. But it'll be different. The priest will actually not only offer the sacrifice in some mysterious way, he will be the sacrifice. And the prophet will not only proclaim God's word, but in a mysterious way, he will actually be the word proclaimed. And the king will not only be the king who will rule like David, but he will also be a servant who will serve a servant king. Wow. All those pictures all throughout the Old Testament. Isn't that exciting? Really, so exciting. And so the day has come. The week has come. The time has come when the heel wounding And the head crushing is about to take place. And it starts with this entry of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. Already we have seen in the Gospels how that Jesus came. He began to uh, heal and teach and demonstrate God's love and truth. And some people welcomed him gladly. And others opposed him strongly. He was loved by a few. Hated by a multitude. And uh, the whole thing is coming to a point. Of conclusion. And so. All four of the gospels tell us the story about Jesus coming into the city. It's not just in one gospel. Many of the things in the. Gospel of Matthew not recorded in other places. It's not just in Mark's gospel, not just in John's gospel or Luke's gospel. All four of the gospel steps. I want to read it out of Matthew's gospel. Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, and they came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, Then Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, just say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophets, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And the disciples went, and they did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and they put on them their cloaks. And, they, and, most, and, and he sat on them, and most of the crowd, The whole city was stirred up. And they were saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So that's the entrance of Jesus into the city. He came in riding on a a colt, a humble animal. In biblical days, when a king would come into a city and he's coming in peace, to offer peace to the city, he would come in on a, a donkey. Now, if he came in on a white stallion, that was a bad sign. That meant I'm coming to conquer, to take over. You better run for your life. But Jesus came in, saying to the people in Jerusalem and to all of us, I come to you offering peace peace now the book of Revelation tells us that there is coming a day when Jesus will come again he will not come the next time on a colt he will come on a stallion a white horse and he will come to conquer and not to offer salvation but to bring judgment that's the reason it's so imperative so imperative that you receive the humble Jesus who sacrificed himself for you and for your sin, that you receive him now because there will come a day when it will be too late, a day when the Bible says that people will hide in the caves and the mountains and they'll cry out, fall on us, cover us, and hide us from the wrath of the Lamb rather than from the salvation that he offers. So all of this, you know, this... This day in which Jesus rode into the city to start the steps toward the cross was a predicted event. It was something that God had planned from before eternity. Back in the back, before the world was ever made, the Lamb was already slain in the heart and mind and wisdom of God. And so this was not just an incidental historical event. This was a prepared, a planned, a predicted event. And uh, uh, there are several passages in, in, the, in the Bible that talk about it. Just uh, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. This is the one that Matthew quotes. He says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So God had, by the way, that was written about 500 years before this event. Isn't that amazing? And then... A thousand years before this event, Psalm 118, which is one of the Hallel Psalms, one of the Hallelujah Psalms, it says in Psalm 118, verses 14 through 26, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die. This is the word for die here means to die permanently. I shall not die. But I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us. This is the word, the Hebrew here, Hosanna. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. You know what Jesus was doing? (laughs) He was quoting scripture. All through what we call Holy Week. It's amazing. I wrote a paper back when I was in college on the use of the, of the prophets in the ministry of Jesus. And it's just amazing how much of the Old Testament Jesus just quoted, quoted, quoted. Even while he was on the cross, he was quoting Psalm 22 and other passages. And here he says, this is the fulfillment Of all that God had promised years ago, centuries ago, back in eternity past. And then in Psalm 24, verses 7 through 10, he says, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord Strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Jesus came into the city as the rightful King, as the righteous King, as the reigning King. He came in. To be the personal king in your heart and in my heart. And he was praised by the children. I loved seeing the boys and girls coming here this morning carrying these palm branches. My heart just kind of leapt within me as they came in. I thought, that's exactly what happened on that day when Jesus came into the city and little children, the Bible says, and others as well, little children cutting palm branches and waving them. It was a symbol of rejoicing at the coming of a king. By the way, a hundred years before this happened, another man named Judas Maccabeus, who had conquered the enemies of of the Jews at that time, he came into the city, and they did the same thing for him. But they thought he was going to be the king that would deliver them from oppression. And these people thought, here comes our king. He's going to free us from Rome. He's going to overcome our enemies. He's going to set us free politically. And Jesus basically is saying, political oppression is just a symptom of something much greater called sin. And you do not need to be set free from political oppressors primarily. You need to be set free from sin primarily and I'm telling you today Jesus came to save us from our sin he came to save us not just from hell and not just from political oppression and not just from economic distress he came primarily to save us from our sin and he does that in two ways he does it by taking our sin upon himself And the Bible says that God has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned our own way. But the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. So he came to take away our sin. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, cried John the Baptist when he saw Jesus coming. He came to bear our sins in his own body, Peter tells us. He bore our sin. So that's one way he came to Hosanna, to save us. And then he does it by actually changing us. You know, when the Bible talks about being born again, talks about a new birth, when the Uh, The prophet Jeremiah talks about God giving us a new heart to take out the old stony heart and put into us a warm, a fleshy heart. He's talking about a miracle that takes place in every believer. Do you know that if you are a Christian, you are a miracle? God has worked a mighty miracle in changing your heart Not only taking away your sin, that's wonderful that he took away our sin, but that would have just left us clean and blank. Then he clothes us with his righteousness by giving us a heart of righteousness. That's the great exchange. He takes our sin and gives us his righteousness. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for me in order that I might receive the righteousness of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Someday, you and I will stand before a holy God. And we will stand before him either clothed in rags or clothed in righteousness. And they may be religious rags. They may be moral rags. But if they are not the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, then we will hear the depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, I never knew you. But God offers to us not just to take our sin but to give us his righteousness. When we talk about receiving Jesus, we're not just talking about receiving him mentally and intellectually. We're talking about actually being clothed with Christ's perfect righteousness. That's the great need that everybody has. And only those who stand before him clothed in the righteousness of God will enter into heaven. Everybody, just about everybody, wants to go to heaven. They think, "Yeah, yeah, I hope I'll go to heaven. I believe I'll go to heaven. But Jesus taught us that the vast majority of people will not enter heaven. Straight is the way. Narrow is the gate. That leads to life. And few there are. That enter there. Jesus later said. I am that way. I am that gate. I am that door. And all who come in through me. Will find. Life. Eternal life. But then the rest of that passage says. And broad is the way. That leads to destruction. Destruction. And many there are that enter there. And I'm just saying that the most serious moment of your life is the moment that you ask the question, not am I a sinner? Everybody knows the answer to that. We all have sinned. And not just am I sorry for my sin. Many people have regrets for their sin who don't go to heaven. But the question is, have I received the righteousness of Jesus in exchange for the sin in my life? Has my sin been placed on him and his righteousness placed on me? You know how that happens? It happens by reading it, hearing it, knowing it in our mind, and believing it in our heart. If we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord. He is my Lord. Not just a Lord, not even just the Lord. He is my Lord. And he said those who do that, those who believe in their heart that Christ died for their sin, rose from the dead, those who believe in their heart, confess with their life with their mouth that Jesus is Lord will be saved and I realize when I speak about messages message like this to a congregation that is faithful to come to church on Sunday morning I would just uh, almost imagine that nearly everybody in this building has done that but I also know that I've preached this message or one similar to it so many times and have active church members who say, I have been trusting in the rags of my righteousness. I've been hoping that God would let me into heaven based on my service to him or my baptism or my church membership or whatever. But today... I realize that all my righteous acts in God's sight are just like filthy rags. And I receive the righteousness of Jesus. I trust Him. I acknowledge Him as Lord and the Savior. And I receive a new heart. If you've never done that, boy, today would be the day Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. Now is the accepted time. Don't put it off. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of Jesus right now that you will speak to every heart. Father, I know there are many here, most here, who have already trusted in Jesus. And I'm so thankful for that. And I know they rejoice in that. They have confident assurance of their salvation. But if there are those here, and there probably are, some here who have plaguing doubts and questions, and they've trusted in their own goodness or hoped in their own uh, self, I pray that they'll lay all that aside today and say, Jesus died for me. I receive his righteousness as he took my sin and I trust him. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The blood of Jesus was shed on that, uh, we call it Good Friday, on the day that he was crucified. As he was nailed to the cross, his blood was shed so that you could be forgiven and have Have a great week, and may the Lord richly bless you.